this is Thomas Magby here, joined with AJ Hannenberg. Oh, yep, that's me. <laughs> it's right there. I don't know if I was supposed to talk then. <laughs> and Graham Donaldson. Hey. See, he knew. <laughs> he was ready for that one. Yeah. All right, uh, this is the Boys, podcast. I came ready to play. But this isn't your topic. So you're, are you ready to Boys, play? I came, I came ready, ready, to ready to list part, <laughs> even <better>. participate <laughs> in, a, in a discussion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, AJ, I think you're the one with the topic today. So today I was I wanted to talk about the seven deadly sins and as they relate to there, there are seven virtues that go along with those. I anticipate maybe doing those at a later date. But I want to talk about the seven deadly sins and the four uh, cardinal virtues uh, in, from antiquity and as, as we discussed them, I quickly came to realize that Thomas probably knows more about this than I do. He's read a few books on the topic. I and I don't I'm, think that's true. A lot of mine's, come, mine's coming from Dante. Oh, I knew that Thomas knew a lot about those sins. <laughs> this was... Uh, so I was the so only I one that didn't topic? know. <laughs> I'm the one that didn't know that the, Thomas knew more about this than I did. No, Graham's going to know a ton about this, too. I just live him out. <laughs> All the virtues have to oh. be embodied, so... Is oh, the teacher the curriculum? The sins. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, let's go ahead and start, and Thomas's knowledge will become obvious as we sort of move through, and he corrects me. That's so, not one of the vices. Oh, sorry. What? Oh, the, can I call them out as you go? Like, oh, that's actually not one of them. <laughs> just, I would appreciate it if you just go, idiot, whenever it happens, <laughs> yeah, instead of actually correcting. Sure. So the first I want to talk about is lust, and I think this is one with which we are all familiar. And I think the... The cool classical thing about this is it's an elevation of the appetites about above where they should be, and this is true of a few of the different vices. And that's, as we've talked about the tripartite soul, which strangely is becoming a pretty dang good foundational episode right. for this whole podcast, the tripartite soul, which I was saying tripartite for most of the thing. Is it with a T at the end? It's tripartite? A yeah. Tripartite. It's tripartite. It? Mm-hmm. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> But oh, I'm totally so much for a good foundation. Yeah. <laughs> well, spell. the theory is pretty good. So it's it's taking what what should be the lowest piece of man, our appetites, and inverting them above our reason and our willpower, mm-hmm. right? Where it's basically being swept up by something. And Dante captures the feeling of lust in the I think it's the first mm-hmm. circle of hell after Limbo. I think it's circle number two, and it's people being swept up in a whirlwind and whipped around by things. And that's what really happens when (laughs) lust takes you, is you're swept up by it, right? In Dorian Gray, it talks about this period in sin where you feel as though your agency has been taken and every fiber of your being is involved in the sin. And Mm -hmm. I think this is probably truer of lust than almost anything else, right? This is one where, yeah, there are some slow-burning sins like pride. This is one where you are swept up, yeah. very much like wrath. Uh, and that's that's lust, right? Is that, so um, just because you referenced Dante, so like are they – they're an increasing order of severity, right? So like when you get – so like Satan at the bottom of it, like because he's the, the worst. So like lust is not a series of a sin? Yeah, and generally I think that's held across antiquity is that lust is one of the less serious sins because it's one of our animal sins. It's, mm. a, it's a sin of the appetite rather than a sin of the will, intellect or the, or, or the will or violence against <clears throat> anyone else. It doesn't, you know, it can be just turmoil inside of you and you can't necessarily help it. So it's like a sin of a weakness. You didn't have the strength of the fortitude to to not be swept up as opposed to, yeah, a sin of the willpower or a sin or a premeditated sin of of uh, betrayal, which is the worst the worst sin that's at the bottom of Dante's hell. Yeah, that morning it's probably it's... unlikely that you woke up and you're like, I'm going to commit lust today. <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you had been participating in that sin for a really long time. Yeah, so that idea of being swept up is a really interesting thing um, because we're just, te- we're, I'm doing Romeo and Juliet 
in 10th grade right now. And every year there's always a student that says, well, maybe Romeo is just has a sexual desire that uh, for for girls. For, first it's Rosaline, then it's Juliet. And he of gets course, swept up a in teenager. this. And then right, and this is what Mercutio, <laughs> Mercutio says, oh, Romeo, he just he just wants to, you know, get with the girl. Um, and then it's tough. But then Romeo and Juliet definitely get swept up in this thing. And you get the sense that as the play goes on that there is no way that they're gonna that they that they're gonna get out of this. It's just time is moving too fast. Everything is sort of going against them. It seems like as soon as it's not even like a decision was made. It was just um, the ball was rolling and nothing's going to be able to stop it. And so that that image of the whirlwind mm. in hell is, I think, a really apt one for this. Um, that it's just, um, um, it's, yeah, they're, they're sort of carried away completely with it. Um, and, and I was just looking up. So we talk about Inferno, but in the purgatory, Purgatorio, it's the last sin that is dealt with. Um, lust yeah. is what directly precedes paradise. At the and very it's end. the, you know how... It's a fire. It's a fire. Yeah. It's not, not only is it a fire, you ha- it's a fire what? where you are in the fire and you have to either listen to or repeat stories of rightly ordered love. Hmm. So if, <clears throat> excuse me, so if you have lived, so in purgatory, it's where you are undoing the sins, but they haven't been to the place where they were so much that they were deadly sins to cause you to be in hell. In purgatory, there, you need to be um, sort of, you need, it's the... You need to be cleansed of those sins. You need sins, to be cleansed of the sins. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so the fire, yeah, you have to you have to actually see examples of love done right because you have lived examples of it being of it being elevated to the wrong place. Um, and so then, in order for them to walk out of it, they have to almost do this liturgy of of educating their affections for what actual good, true, ordered love looks like. And that's one of the problems with lust is that it. It puts the self before the other, mm-hmm. right? Lust is not necessarily we we imagine it's uh, the sin that happens between two teenagers, but in in the specific sin of lust, it would be one teenager overly concerned with his own sexual desire rather than the well being and the sexual desire of the other person, right? It's where it's where you are in it for yourself. It's the one night stand, right? Mm-hmm. Where you never call the other person. You're not concerned with how they're feeling. It's simply for self gratification. So that it can also be present in a relationship, in a marriage. Because mm-hmm. if someone is overly concerned with their own uh, sexual desire over and above the well-being of the relationship, that's the inappropriate raising of the appetite to a place where it's not supposed to be. Yeah, and then even worse, lusting after someone that is not your wife, right? Sure. That is oh, ultimate yeah. Concer- yeah. disconcern for the person with whom mm-hmm. you should be concerned. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one I want to talk about is gluttony, and that is overconsumption of anything to the point of waste, right? I don't feel like we have a problem with that in our modern world. Yeah, pro- <laughs> 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 that was good. Um, maybe, maybe not with food as much as with... When was the last time you heard a sermon about gluttony? Never. Seriously. I, mean, I, I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon about gluttony. Are you I've being heard, sarcastic? No, or? I'm being serious. I, like, it is, I feel like, a thing that is so prevalent in our society. Wastefulness mm. and and the overconsumption of food. Like, we make it into a joke. Oh, man, Thanksgiving, I'm so stuffed. Go wear my turkey pants. Um, but it's uh, we could be... Um, reinforcing a vice and celebrating this uh, a a vicious thing that is actually turning our our souls away from what it how we should be relating to the things we consume so one of the things that was important in in antiquity is that someone's gluttony could be taking food out of the mouths of someone who really Mm. needed it right your overconsumption was causing the underconsumption of someone else and i think that's perhaps one reason why it isn't so prevalent in our society is that 
there's such an overabundance of available food that we we literally don't have to think about it. Yeah. We don't have to consider that my overeating of Cheetos is going to take those same Cheetos out of some other person's mouth. Sure. Cheetos are maybe a bad example. <laughs> bad example. But every sin that is done against somebody else is a dual sin because it's always a sin against yourself. And so um, the, in Dante's hell, these they're not in hell because they're being punished. They've sent themselves here. They've punished themselves by living a life of sin. Um, and so, yes, we don't need to worry about other people not having enough uh, food but there is still the sin of, against the self by being over by over consuming. And it's the it's mm. again it's it? the what inversion is... of the soul, right? I'm putting my appetites above, above everything else, and it's being over concerned. Like food is usually what we think of, but it's not just that. I mean, Aquinas right. is he focuses on food. He says it's eating too expensively, eating too daintily, eating too much, eating too soon, too eating too eagerly, yeah. right? So he focuses really hard on food, but I, I'm not sure Dante does. Dante sees it more as a consideration of. <clears throat> comfort more than anything else. The mm. men in hell are punished by lying on their sides in a rainstorm of mud and being barked at. It's like the least comfortable thing you can think of. It's just they're they're still laying down, but instead of receiving comfort from it, they're being abused. Mm. And that's that's what I think it is. Over-concern with comfort own, and over-consumption. And it's more concerned with the consumption than the thing being consumed. It's mm. not so much the, f- the food as it is the eating of the food that's yeah. important. So my comfort food is... Uh causing my soul to degrade. Is that what you're saying? We're, this is actually I would never an speak against Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> is that actually your speak. comfort food? No, I, I, don't, I don't even know what my comfort food would be. Oh, I know what my comfort food is. It is um, these things that I used to get in Holland when we lived there. They, they're called croquettes. They're basically like, it's going to sound disgusting, but it's like breaded and deep fried whipped meat. Mm. That does so, sound disgusting. So whip, what is whipped, whipped meat? So it's whip? like it's like you meat. mashed? No, it's kind How of like... How do you whip meat? It's like meat... <laughs> And broth and hunks of beef and like potatoes whipped together and then deep fried and breaded. It's this amazing. sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> Croquettes are amazing. Anyway, what are we talking about? Comfort food. No, but I'm, yeah, it's just like. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah, by all means. You, so you said, uh, Graham, you made a comment that all, all sins are against two people. There's the sin against self and then the sin against the other person. Yeah. So is that, I don't know. So you're saying that people are condemning themselves to hell. Is there no third part of that also where they're sinning against God it, like so yes uh, okay. yeah oh for sure um I'm just I'm thinking more on the lines of like like the that, damage they do to that themselves hell is especially in Dante uh hell is just a punitive thing done outside of them by an angry God condemning them to hell where I think with Dante and I haven't taught it I have I don't teach Dante so it's been a long time since I've read it and really thought about it but there's this sense that um, it's not that God has punished them to hell. It's that he sort of taken off the guardrails and allowed them mm. to continue into this path that they themselves now no longer have agency to get themselves out of. Well, I'm not sure that's true. In, to, to get them out? Which, which part no, of No, no, in, in Dante yeah. specifically, it's so that's a very C.S. Lewis idea, mm-hmm. that hell is locked from the inside. Mm-hmm. That's The Great Divorce talks about that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that... You know, I would consider, like, in the end, we all get what we want. And it's God, there's sections of scripture where it says he gives them over to their sinful desire. Mm-hmm. He just says, sure, do what you want to do. And that, I think that's kind of a modern idea. But in Dante, all of the dead souls standing on the edge of the river, they don't, like, well, they, don't they wouldn't want to go. Wanna yeah, go yeah, yeah. And it is divine justice that compels mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They are down there from justice. And then they're judged by King Minos. And he 
chucks them into hell and where they land, they stay. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the deal is yeah. that it's, it's a one-time thing. You are judged. You are put there. It's not like they find their way there. Yeah, yeah. That it's sort of a more modern idea that hell is, or at least it's my understanding. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, okay, so we're, we're moving on. Is yeah, that is sure. that enough? Gluttony. Sorry, um, so with lust and gluttony, you've both referenced them as relating to appetitive. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a thing is, that Dante is doing? That he kind of uh, groups together the appetitive as like less serious, and then like. Is there, is there a way I can group these sins as I go deeper into hell? Yeah, so Dante groups them uh, in three sins oh. of, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to remember here, but Sorry. it's sins of the wolf or sins of the appetite, okay. uh, sins of the lion or sins of violence, and then sins of the leopard or sins of fraud. Because the leopard has spots. Because the leopard had spots. And he, so... Doesn't Dante run into those three animals? Like, he does. In the, in the opening? Each one represents the grand division of sin. Oh, wow. Okay. So that that first one, the wolf, are the, are the sins at the top. They're all animal sins. And the crazy thing about Dante is that he, even the monsters you meet mm -hmm. are creatures. Right? This is where you meet Kerberos, the dog. Mm -hmm. It's where you have dogs running around. Like it's, it's creaturely. And then when you move on to the next piece, you, this is where you see half-humans. You see the... Harpies, you see the centaurs. This is the sins of, I think it's the sins of the will. Okay. I mean, it's where we see wrath and it's violence against others. It's where sin specifically isn't against like the, the self, but it involves other people. You're hurting others at the same time. And then the at the, at the bottom, the sins of fraud are where we see monsters that are human. We see the giants, hmm. right? They're fully human monsters and not com combinations anymore. Geryon is the last combination monster where he has a human face and a lion background. And then after that, we see like devils, hmm. the Malabranch. And so he divides it, creatures, and then half creature, half man, and then fully man sins, right? Sins of fraud, that's something that humans do. And then goes wolf, lion, and then what was the third? Leopard. Leopard. Okay. That's cool, sorry. Okay, so moving on to greed. Again, this is this would be one that is in the higher echelons of hell for Dante. So it's and still an appetitive? It's still an appetitive. And this is the love of possessing more than it is the love of comfort, like gluttony. Mm -hmm. And usually this is associated with simply with money. And the important thing here is you're refusing the eternal things for the temporal. Mm. I'm saying no to heaven so that I can possess things here. Mm. And it often involves, a, just like gluttony, hurting others. Right, greed can mean sins of simony, selling church office, sins of usury or loaning at exorbitant interest rates. You which sins we, of usury used to not mean just any, mean any form of any interest. forms of interest. So yeah. for a long time, it was not. You were not even allowed to charge any interest on loans to two fellow church members. Two fellow church members, yeah. which is, uh, and so that means that people who were outside the church needed to be the ones that um, were providing that were loans. providing loans. And in medieval Europe, that was often that was often the Jewish population, and which is the sort of the main, the main tension in Merchant of Venice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but that yeah that that that's yeah. a fun way that that can, word has changed over time. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Can Christians uh, charge interest? Is maybe a future fun podcast? Yeah, I'm down. That'd be fun. <laughs> but yeah, maybe this is another one. Bank Sorry, I used to, yeah, used to it's another that. one that we don't hear about much from yeah. the pulpit unless no. it's in the context of church giving. Yeah, right. Uh, greed or usury. Well, usually never. never. Yeah, I've never heard it yeah. from the pulpit once, but yeah. greed specifically. Yeah, sure. Right? How often do we talk about that? But we do talk about like materialism. Is this any different than than a materialism? Just like loving fancy things or loving. Yeah, I don't think so. I think yeah. that's a fair. So I feel like uh, we, we hear that, but what we don't hear too often is how it is a distraction of you are giving up eternal things for temporal things. Um, Aquinas talks about how greed is that you are desire. So 
Um, wealth only has uh, value because of a thing it can get you. Mm-hmm. Wealth is a mean. It's mm-hmm. not an end. But when you treat the wealth as an end, that's when you've entered into greed. So you just want the accumulation of more stuff for no mm-hmm. sake of anything else. So you can have stuff. It's not where you're. It's when you're hoarding it, hoarding, right? And you're right. not spending. That's right. Yeah. So then, but then, what's the sin of like being a, of, of being a spendthrift, like b- buying everything? Uh, that's actually so weirdly enough. You know the the, the prodigal son. Yeah. yeah. Prodigal doesn't mean you've run away <laughs> and then you come back. That's not what the word. It mm-hmm. means you spend too much. Mm-hmm. That's what prodigal yeah. means. Yeah. And so even the name of the parable has become focused instead on the like the leaving and the coming back more than that. He, he spent huh. everything. He wow. ruined. Yeah. He spent all his money. Yeah. So it's being prodigal, okay. spending too much, and and squandering a fortune. I guess it's we can think of it kind of like bad stewardship. You are wasting the gifts on temporal pleasures and not mm-hmm. doing what you should with them. So, Graham, your question was where does spendthrift go? Yeah. Probably, so... Where is being prodigal? What sin is that? Dante so, puts them opposite the hoarders. Okay. I was same, say, same circle. Because wouldn't okay. charity be the mean between overspending and underspending? I don't know. I thought ch- charity is the love no, that requires love. nothing in return. Just, it wouldn't be... Yeah, I'm just trying to look at the virtues. It would be, Hold it would on, be stewardship, can, right? It would be like a good... I can look it up. A good... Uh, um, so what Thomas is yeah, referring to... Yeah, charity would be the opposite okay. of greed. That's, yeah. so that's Thomas, the virtue that's opposite. What Thomas is referring to with the mean is that of all of these vices and virtues, um, a virtue is usually something that is in between two vices, a right. vice of extremity and a vice of a defect. Um, and so, for example... Well, what's what's an example, Thomas? Of so the classical virtues are more of the mean, I think, than the 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 seven. Mm -hmm. The seven virtues are kind of opposite. Like the opposite of lust is chastity, Mm -hmm. right? And that's I don't know if chastity is a mean. Well, Um, I guess it could be uh, the mean between being a prude over and under, right? In terms of like like though it's funny because prudence is one of the four classical virtues. Well, prudence and being a prude, I think, are different, right? Mm -hmm. But. Aristotle has these funny examples where he'll talk about there's an excess of wanting to do fun stuff, but there's a there's a, uh, a if you are a bump on a log, that is also you're not enough human, you're not enough alive. So there's a mean between those two, um, and I thought that was prudence of not um, being scandalous, but not under um, having fun. Like you should still have fun. You're like a complete joyless robot. Yeah, you should not be a joyless robot. Yeah. Okay, I yeah. can I can get behind that. I was going to talk about that in Envy. It right, actually no, pops up. All right, we're, but we're, now we're sort of bleeding the virtues into the podcast on the vices. So let's, let's stick with no, these. that's fine. Uh, so the next one up is sloth or acedia. And this is a kind of a big thing in the Man, classical world right now. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> you don't? Hey, hey. With the jokes. The guy with the jokes. Have you, have you all listened to the Catholic stuff you should know episodes on this stuff? I have not. They keep calling it sloth. Like, really? Apparently, yes. Instead of sloth, they call it sloth. Sloth. Is yeah. that like is this thing? swath versus swathe? Yeah, that maybe. Sloth? I don't know. So sloth is the animal. Sloth is the is the sin. No, dude, I will. That is not a thing. I will. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not I'm just repeating it. to you. Look, we stole their name, so I thought we should at least throw that out there. All right. It's not like we stole this from that podcast specifically. That's true. Okay. Either way, <laughs> I'm going to pronounce it sloth. sloth. Okay. So sloth or acedia is the omission of responsibilities. It's good men failing to act, and the, I think the best definition is that it's a lack of feeling for the world, the people in it and especially spiritual advancement. And I'm getting that definition from Henry Fairley's excellent book, The Seven Deadly Sins Today. If you're curious about this, check it out. With pictures. It's real good. Yeah, with drawings by Vint Lawrence. And there's only like seven, eight or nine pictures. Oh, there's, it's bad. really kind of sad. But there's probably seven pictures. No, there's more. <laughs> oh, there's okay. one about... Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The So this is kind of... The, the important thing here is... N- 
the disbelief that one can change and improve, in spe- especially in relation to spiritual advancement. That's the CDA? Yeah, that's the CDA. I might as well not try because nothing will ever get better. And then it's not. it becomes not only a lack of feeling for spiritual advance- advancement, but for the world in general and for the people in it. Like, why do I care? I'm broken. I'm just broken. The world's a broken place. I'm a broken person. We're just broken people. We're never going to move Full on. Full stop. We're never going to move on. Yeah. This, I'm just going to struggle with this forever. Why Why should I pray about it? It's not going to get better. I've yeah. prayed before. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. I'm out. We, Dang. We were talking... It, it is. It's a bummer. We've, uh, we talked before the podcast about how, like, the whole seven deadly sin thing has developed over time. And so the original version of it was eight deadly thoughts from a desert father named Evagrius. And the two things that were combined into Acedia were sadness and sloth. Um Mm. And so that's why that's why we call it sloth. So one Aquinas has two definitions of acedia. One is sadness about spiritual good, which is what AJ is talking about. But then it's also despair over action. It's you know, why try? Why try? Yeah. And I would think that this is a sin of a deficiency of willpower. Like you do not have enough spirit, or you do not have enough like grit or determination to keep going and to try to continue to improve. It's a giving up. Like if the other ones were were sins of appetite, you just get swept up in your feels. Mm. Um, this one seems to be like the sin of of willpower. You just, for whatever reason, you can't muster it. Very, yeah. yeah it's called the noonday sin, right? Yes. So it's like by noon on it, by noon, you've just run out of willpower to do something, and it's like two o'clock, and you're staring out the window, thinking like, well, whatever I'm doing right now, I'm never gonna get it done. So like, why am I even doing this? Yeah, the noonday devil. Mm-hmm. Um, so the monks had to be in their um, uh, cell between ten and two or whatever it is, and so the way that this most manifests is that people wanted to leave their cell. Mm-hmm. Like, they just had to be anywhere else. Can because, we have class outside? Yeah, I, I get this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It's like, because if they get there, then they're going to be happy. But the problem is that they'll get there and they'll be the same person. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that is the lie of Acedia. Oh, that's how I'm going to answer it from now on. Do you <laughs> think class outside will make you happy? But when we get outside, you will still be you. Yeah, still be the same person. Gosh, it's bummer. No, sometimes it's, it's actually nice outside. <laughs> like, sometimes it's just nice. And class smells weird because there was eighth graders in yeah, it beforehand. Yeah, the class does smell weird sometimes. <laughs> True. All right, so this is actually where I wanted to talk about the no no fun thing, not envy. I had it, I had it mixed up. But another quote from Henry Fairley, at any age, it is the face of those who are already old beyond their years, Mm. who seem never to have known any springtime, whether in their own lives or around them each year, in whom the sap seems never to have risen. Mm. It's the person who's old old beyond their years and like, hey, we're going to go do a thing. And they're like, yeah, all right, I'll stay home and kind of not be part of things. But call it maturity, right? Yeah. 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 I see this a lot. All right. So I think this is, this is, yeah, the, the the sin du jour or whatever, if you want to, uh, this is one, I don't think it's just in teenagers, which we spend most of our days with, but I think that this is like one that has infected Western church culture to a great extent. The idea that I can never get out of my sinfulness and brokenness. So why try? And everything just now needs to be a coping mechanism that, uh, that, that the gospel is just, is just therapy. That's giving me enough, oomph just to make it through the day. Yeah. Welcome to church. You made it through another week, right? Like that's, that's, that's a, not a good way of thinking about and the faith and the gospel. It's so easy to fall and into. And it's so easy to I fall think this, into. I mean, this is like, I don't want to get too confessional, but this is, this is a sin that I really struggle with. Like it's, it is hard to convince myself yeah. that things are going to be different this time. You know, it's, it's easy to fall into this and get discouraged. Yeah. So 
Um, AJ, you bring that up just reminds me of something with these sins is that in Dante, there's this concept and idea of a besetting sin. And the besetting sin is the sin that is the thing that is most strongly associated with the person's character. So you have these characters in, in Dante's hell, and they're at these various circles. And it's not that um, they're in these various circles because they only, so if you're in the top circle of lust, it's not that the only sin they committed in their life was lust. Mm. Or there was just this one lustful thing that they did in their life that was like, God's like, yep, that's it. That's mm. the thing. You're done. Um, it's that they, it, it was the besetting sin. And so when an individual person thinks about sin, the, the, the actual action or the sin that pops into their mind is going to be that besetting sin, that particular thing that just they have they a difficult, can't they handle. can't shake. And I remember having a conversation with my, with, um, uh, when I was a teenager, he was like my, he was the camp director and he was my, basically my spiritual mentor. He was my Ambrose. Um, and, uh, I remember him saying eventually like his besetting sin was gambling. He can't mm. even just think about the game. He just doesn't even like playing card games because it just captures his heart and mind. And here's this godly man that I want to emulate. And I remember thinking like, I have never thought about gambling. I have no problem. Not a problem for me. I have no problem with this at all. And so all of a sudden, like a spiritual war that I did not know was taking place, I Mm. was given into realizing that it was taking place. And every day I ended without thinking about gambling was no great victory. And every day that he ended not thinking about gambling was like an epic defeat of the devil, right? Mm. So this, so I think every, I don't know how fruitful it is to spend a lot of time thinking about besetting sins. I think it's You probably perhaps, already know yours. You probably already know It probably know popped yours. into your head immediately it as we started. It is probably more of a fruitful exercise to think about like uh, the beset, the, the virtues that are, that come more easily to you and trying to use those virtues to uh, help grow the others because they are all connected. Um, but yeah, so this besetting sin is is the thing that yeah pops into your mind when you when someone says uh, sin the sin that you do and you're like all right well it's that and does Dante have an or yeah does Dante have an answer to what to do with that so you have a besetting sin and purgatory then, I mean yeah, I think that, the, the book of purgatory is kind of like his guide for you're not dead purging, you yep. can get to heaven um, here's the way that you can do to purge it so if you're besetting sin like if we go back to is lust you need to have examples of rightly ordered loves and you need to set yourself on fire no that's not what he's saying wait, <laughs> hold on, wait a minute wait. you need no there's something about you need to burn it out of you so i don't yeah. know what that what that actually translates to in terms of 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 practical like how do you how do you sort of um, if you have those, if you have those habits, how do you quench? For those Lewis, habits? is you have to abandon it completely. Yeah. Right. If if you've read the Great Divorce, Great divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, it was the guy with the little lizard on his yeah. shoulder, mm-hmm. and the angel had to crush it and destroy yeah. it before it could grow into a mm-hmm. stallion. Did and he, it, and he experience pain through that whole? Oh thing. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. not it like almost killed him. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so yeah, and he gets so, a horse out of the whole thing. Is reading, that he gets and that's a flying what, horse. Yeah. And that's what Augustine says. I mean, his besetting sin was there was a lot of lust there. He right. was a young kid, and they he would call them what the old crones, and they would say like, if when he intended to get rid of them, they said, well, do you really mean to be rid of us? Mm. Like, are you really gonna try? Yeah. Do you really want it? And and a lot of time it was no. He was he didn't really want to be mm-hmm. rid of them. Yeah. And so he had to completely purge that out because it wasn't an honest try until he said yes and. Them all. So the, purg- the so purgatory can be read almost as like a field manual for the types of the ways to to root out those particular sins, yeah. um, because it's to work on the soul's perfection. So that's that's fun. Yeah. That'd be a good exercise to even go through. 
Well, and that's and AJ was just talking about this, but each of the the vices that Dante's going through has a opposing virtue, and so in response to greed, one would practice charity mm-hmm. um, or mm. generosity. Mm. That's what the in the response to sloth, diligence, yeah. like work hard, find something and work at it, and then see. I think maybe once it delivers a change to you, then you think, oh, I can, I can do this. Yeah. And I see that with students. They're like, yeah. I can never work hard, I can never do it, and then I help them do it write once. a single paper, yeah. and they're like, wow, I don't have to be a dummy. I can tackle this. All right, so let's let's maybe hustle through sure. the next couple. Sorry. The next one is wrath, which is a distortion of justice. It's an ordinate, inordinate desire for revenge. Just being angry is not a sin, mm-hmm. especially if it's appropriate, right? Jesus was angry on a few occasions, mm-hmm. at least one that I can think of. Flipping tables. tables. Flipping yeah. some tables in yeah. the temple. And that was justice being played out. It is when you are fly off the handle at something small, that's wrath, or when you desire revenge for something that the person doesn't necessarily deserve, or any, I mean, really any desire for revenge would be a sin, mm-hmm. right? That is God's territory, not yours. Mm. That's wrath. I think that one's pretty straightforward. How are they, how are the wrathful... Is that the um, lava one? In hell. Wrathful tear each other apart. Okay, yeah. They With hooks? No, they bite each other. Oh, oh dang. They are, they are tumbling around in a river full of poop, and oh, they is. poop and mud, and they fight each other and tear each other, and... Under them are the slothful. The slothful are, all, oh. are trampled underneath the fighting people. And they, they, all you see of the slothful Stop. is just bubbles coming up on the... <laughs> blah, blah, well, I guess I can just stay down here and wait for them to stop. Blood's fine. Yep, exactly. Next one is envy. And this arises from vainglory oh, or I pride. I love this one. I love it. I just want it. What, what do you, what He's do you doing mean? the joke. He's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Every time I'm just like, you want all these sins? Wait, stop oh. this. <laughs> so, and yeah, envy is not... Not just wanting na- what your neighbor has, but wanting him to not have it, mm. right? Because you deserve it, right? So it stems almost directly from pride, which is the last and most egregious of the seven. But this one comes from like, if I see, and this is, I mean, this is a danger, especially with colleagues. Like when, yeah. when Donaldson came to the school, he's teaches English just like I do. He likes great old books just like I do. And he's, he's really good at a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so... I, there was a time when I had to like fight off envy and and not be jealous of his gifts and in instead is that why there was hand sanitizer in my coffee in the early days? Yes, that's exactly oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know practicing gratitude for the things that I have and that we have such an amazing teacher to help our students. Right, yeah. I should I should celebrate the gifts that God has given him and squash my own pride. So uh, well, thanks. First of all, it's also cool that y'all were back to back best teachers at Veritas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so is, so you said envy is not just wanting what somebody has, but also taking joy when someone doesn't get something. So yeah. is envy joy in the, fall. the feeling that I get when I'm sitting on an airplane and someone next to me gets bumped up to first class and they leave and I'm like, man, I want that seat. And then they come back and they sit back next to me and they say, oh, actually they made a mistake. And you have a tiny triumph. Here. And I'm just like, heck yeah. Like deep down in my soul, that is, I mean, that's a dark, horrible thing to feel, but yeah. that is, that that's a form of envy. Yeah, the two, yeah. The, the, the two thing, two, two of the things of envy are joy at someone's um, bad things that mm-hmm. happen to them or sorrow at the good things that happen What's to that them. What's that German word? Like Schauschenfreude? Schadenfreude. 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 Yeah. So Th- Thomas Aquinas had three stages. So during the first step, the envious person attempts to lower another's reputation. Mm. In the middle stage, the envious person receives either joy at another's misfortune or grief at another's prosperity. Right. The third stage is hatred because sorrow um, sorrow causes hatred, right? So I try to squash his reputation. If it works, I'm happy. If it doesn't, I'm jealous. And then I just end up hating the person, right? And there's no gratification in envy. Nothing it can... This is a quote from Fairley again. Nothing it can ever enjoy. Its appetite never ceases, yet its only satisfaction is endless self-torment. Hmm. Um, 
So thankfulness would be the opposite, opposite yep. of this. So this is like Iago in uh, Othello. Oh, you were yeah. thinking I was going to say Aladdin. Aladdin. I was, I was like, wow, we're really we're going there? Wow, okay. <laughs> yes, yep. No, uh, Iago. <laughs> in, uh, in Othello. Um, okay, cool. In that he is envious? He's envious. Yes. I mean, so he has no, yeah, he is going to take joy in uh, in however Othello can come can sort of be brought down. Yes. It's Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first sins in the Bible. It was Cain being jealous of Abel's success with God, and he couldn't have it, and he was mad. Mm. So he killed him. Yeah. Last and foundationally is pride. Pride does not show up in Dante because it is pervasive through the whole of hell. Mm. Like if there's one creature that exemplifies this, it's Satan himself, right? Pride was his great fall. Mm -hmm. And it underlies every other sin. I noted how envy springs directly from it. Lust springs from it because you consider yourself more important than others. Gluttony from thinking your stuff is important. Greed because you want things. Like every single one of these is an inordinate desire for yourself to be lauded and successful and comfortable. It's just an, it's, it's a distorted view of yourself. And I don't mean unreality. Like I can correctly recognize that I am not good at diving. I'm not an Olympic <laughs> diver. That's, that's fine. You have I, correctly identified that. I have that. correctly identified that. So a, a sane view of self, even your gifts is not pride, right? I am good at certain things in teaching. I am good at speaking without verbal fillers. Mm. It's something I'm decent at. But, uh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but this is, so the, it's not that. And, and it's, it's a distorted view of self where you think you are more important than you actually are, especially in relation to others. And weirdly enough, self-deprecation, mm, right? Thinking, oh, I'm the worst, I'm yeah, horrible, yeah. is another form of pride. And right. it stems from believing that you are, you should be higher than you actually are, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Oh, I'm so bad at this. Well, it's because you believe that you should be good at this rather than just saying, yeah, I'm kind of bad at this and not really paying attention to it. So the opposite of pride is not self-deprecation. Mm. It's forgetfulness of self. Yeah, it's good. When you consider yourself not as important and you, I can see Donaldson's gifts and I can rejoice in them. I can rejoice in the things I do well and be totally cool with the things I do poorly consider those gifts from God and just do, do my work. So it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Exactly. That's well wow. Put. Thank you. That's so good. That's right. I'm really good at that. Yeah. And I correctly I'm really good at that. And I, I correctly <laughs> recognize it. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were talking about. The um, uh, it, So those are the seven deadly sins. Are you going to go into classical virtues now? Or are you going to uh, do it let's, time? Let's, let me check time. But what were you going to say? Um, just... Um, that whole idea of like seeing self rightly, that's one of the uh, classical virtues is justice. And so justice also says that there is a certain amount that is due to a person. Mm-hmm. Like your your work should lead to a certain outcome. You should not think you should get more. You should not think you should get less. But so it would be wrong of you to say, I do all this work and I should never get anything for it. Like you all work at the school, you should get paid. Like there's a... Yeah. So then how can we, I mean, how can we turn the things that we do in the school to help with those virtues? Like for example... How can every time a grade get back to a student, it can actually be an exercise in understanding justice as opposed to being something that is an excuse for them to either, for any sort of these these sins to fall into? And and I don't think the answer is just, well, the students need to change their perspective. I think that's a huge part of it. But I mean, there's got to be a way that as educators, we can turn the little liturgy of grading and giving back a grade into something that helps them love justice or um, or really sort of help virtue? I think there's a few things to focus on. One is encouraging them not to share with each other, right? The, hmm. the impulse to share your grade the with grade, your neighbor yeah. is almost always out of envy or causes envy. 
And then on top of that, a lot depends on the teacher. We have to grade accurately. Mm -hmm. If we are giving them grades that are too low for what they've worked, they will instantly plunge into, I think, sloth and envy, and they're going to feel terrible because they worked really hard and they didn't get what they deserved. And if we overly inflate their grades, we will encourage sloth because they don't have to work hard, yeah. right? They won't be able to see improvement because they're always sitting at 100. Yeah. So part of this just relies on a little bit of justice on the part of the teacher. But I, I still, or no, gr- no grades at all. Or no grades, yeah. Because the other thing I'm thinking, so if you're grading a paper, you're grading an outcome, but what I think you want to grade is the effort. You want the you want to know the process. Like I, so when we the most satisfying uh, uh, thing that we do at the school, at least as a, from a teaching perspective for me, is the senior thesis mm, yeah. because the entire process is one that AJ and I sort of are with the whole way through, and the process isn't graded up until the end, and then the end is a, is a public showcase of the thing. And so at the end of it, no one cares if it was an 85 or a 93 because sure. the public showcase of a difficult thing is very satisfying. And the kids come off stage like mini triumphant gods when they've finished their thesis. They grow a whole two inches. They do. <laughs> um, and so there's some, like that is a process, that process is something that seems a lot more, has a lot more potential for creating virtue than where assignments are sort of like you give it and then it's. At least from a teaching perspective, it's kind of this hidden thing. The students mm. sort of go off into the black fog of war, and then they emerge with this artifact that they give you. And you're looking at it, and you're trying, like, you're just assessing it based on its on its merits right then and there. And I want to know how they did it. Yeah. And I want to know, like, did they sit down, shut off the computer, take the headphones out, created a little cave of silence, and actually thought through this diligently? Or were they, like, doing a speech-to-text on the bus to the volleyball game? Right, yeah. because that can you um, not tell from it, you can't. You the thing is like, from I'm the work sure itself. you can from some of the work itself, but you can't totally. And some kids write papers in 20 minutes and they're beautiful. Yeah, and some kids work for 10 hours on something and it still has problems. And and so I mean like, not every assignment is. We're not having. We're not trying to get them to manufacture identical things. Mm-hmm. But we're assessing them with with sort of identical metrics. I again still don't know how to how to rectify this. But anyway, but that's not the topic at hand. The topic at hand is is are there ways that you can sort of inculcate virtue with? with um, yeah, and we, I think, and I think our yeah, morning I think moment this, liturgies, like the suggestions having, you say, are good. At we AJ. do we do Thanksgiving as prayer in the morning, right? Yep. Just having them refocus, and then every, like when I when I pray, I try to bring things back towards those things that are important, right? The, yeah. the eternal, which funnily enough, I, I talked about that in one of the virtues. I think it was greed, mm-hmm. right? Leaving the eternal for the temporal. And that is one of the primary criticisms of Christianity mm-hmm. from Nietzsche. And I recently heard it from an atheist who was speaking recently uh, <clears throat> on Facebook. And <laughs> he, he said... The form of our day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the public he, square. The public yeah. square yeah, yeah, yeah. of our day. And what he said is that any any believer in religion, right, in a in a monotheistic religion, has to believe that what is coming later is better than what is happening now, and earnestly desire the coming of that world to the detriment of this. And so, because of that, and Nietzsche says the same thing: Christians kind of reek of death, right? Mm-hmm. We want the world after this one, not this world, which I think is a little. I was up to you. I was following that train of thought, saying like that is incredibly true, up until what you said detriment. And that's the thing is I think that some of that is fair, right? That we do look toward a different world and 
and the the destruction of this one. And that was the critique of the Romans against the Christians. They are not here shoring up the Imperium. They are not here helping Rome thrive. Therefore, they're against Rome. Hmm. Yeah, in, instantly making that jump for us being against the current world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair, right? right? We are here to bring love and goodness into the world as it is while earnestly desiring the next. Mm-hmm. And well, and that's what um, Graham was talking about earlier, where like sins have an effect on us and on the other person. So like the choices that we make have impact on us. So if we go around reeking of death, that has a negative impact on us. Like that, that is not the way that we are supposed to be if we are pursuing virtue. Yeah, we should be effulgent life, right? right? It should bring life into us now that continues in the afterlife. Right. And and he and and one jump that they don't make is that if you if you don't desire the end of this world, then are you cool with it the way it is? Yeah. Like, it's are you are also looking towards a different world. Yeah. You are just hoping that we can create it in the temporal here and now. But you also don't want the world as it is. And this this atheist also implied that he says instead of mm-hmm. working right now to make this world better. And I was like, so you don't like this world as it is either. Right. Um, you are looking towards a distant future. It's just that. Ours happens to come after death, and we are also working towards that distant future. And with that, if you have the view that the world is not the way that it should be and God is going to one day make the world as it ought, that really does color the way that you treat other people. So you treat other people, if someone is bad and actively making the world a bad place, you do not say, it is on me to fix this. You say, this person needs will one day like stand face to face with him who is going to fix it. Mm. Whereas in the other view, if you say the world is all that we have, when you come face to face with the person who you are convinced is the problem, you can easily say to yourself, I now have a moral obligation to remove this person from society because they are causing this problem. Rather than help them toward grace. And so then that focus on the here and now and trying to make this world a better place can actually be a justification for a systemic violence or hatred of a group of people. So, I mean, this is why um, when, when socialist communism was on the rise in Russia and fascism was on the rise in Germany, the very fact that it was atheist were one of the reasons why um, the Christians of the day were saying, this is going to be a problem because they don't believe in God, because if they don't believe in God, they will very easily only believe in the temporal here and now and the politics of the day. And then if they believe that, then the enemies of the here and now are easily justified to be removed. Yeah. And then people were sort of like, oh, well, of course you're going to be upset that they're, that they're atheists. But that's not really the real problem. But it's I – mean, we've this was a conversation that we had in our Crime and Punishment um, uh, book this year with the seniors was the idea that like the over – the caring of the, of the here and now with no sort of idea of telos – the end of history that where God is in charge means that you're going to be able to justify some pretty terrible things in the here and now thinking that you can fix the problem because it is on you to fix that problem. And especially that the fixture is not like it's it's not fixed. So you you are working towards an end, but the guy right next to you in the same department might be working towards a slightly different end. Mm-hmm. And because of that, no progress is actually made, right? I'm, I'm working towards a socialist end because I believe that's beautiful, while someone else is working towards a democratic one, while someone else is working towards a tyrannical one because they think mm-hmm. a single ruler is best, right? So no progress actually happens because they're all moving towards different ends and all justifying things in different ways. And so the idea of 
progress that is inherent in man, right, looking towards a distant, perfect world, gets all befuddled and we uh, end up working against each other. Mm. Uh, Chesterton talks about that, right, mm -hmm. where if you don't have a fixed goal, you can spend half of your life trying to paint the world blue and then realize that you don't want it blue at all, you want it green, and you have to go back and undo all that work. Mm -hmm. Well, my dude, how are we going to land this thing? It feels like that was a pretty good spot to land it. Cool. And yeah. just... Yeah, I encourage you. The, it's easy to recognize the sins because that's where mm -hmm. we live. Yeah. And to have, to you know, to identify those, to live in those, and to be aware. But I think it's just as valuable to look at the seven virtues that are opposite these and try to live in that place as a remedy rather than just trying to focus on not doing the sins. So we'll look at those in another podcast soon. Cool. That's good. All right. This is... Oh, so thank you for listening to Classical yeah. Stuff You Should Know. Well, let's point you towards our website, classicalstuff.net. And if you have comments or you have something you want us to talk about, you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. Is there anything I'm missing? That's, That's it. it. Okay, we'll be back next week. These usually go up once a week, and we'll keep them coming. Thank you. Thank you.